Welcome back to Premier Sports Academy guest speaker series brought to you by Sportscraft Source for Sports. Okay, welcome back, guys. Um, episode number 10 of our guest speaker series. Uh, today joining us uh, is Mike Webster. So Coach Mike, um, player Mike, I mean, uh, you got a pretty pretty extensive baseball resume, whether it's your experience in Division One, coaching collegiately, coaching high school, coaching travel. Um, definitely looking forward to this conversation just to kind of spark it off on different uh, aspects of the game. But Mike, I'll let you introduce yourself to the viewers and kind of give us an idea of your baseball background and your baseball resume. All right. So Mike Webster, I'll go through it a little bit quick. I started off playing baseball at Division I uh, Canisius College, good old Golden Griffs, uh, way back in the mid-90s uh, when we played on the hot turf. And uh, from there, just, you know, didn't really go too far. Played a year up in the county league with the Kitchener Panthers and then just bounced around with a bunch of rec teams, uh, both locally in the Buffalo area and then up in Ontario with uh, Ryan's brother, Ronnie. And then coaching-wise, the moment I graduated, I got blessed to become the head coach at Division Three Duval College to start their program from scratch. That was an interesting thing. So I went from there to become the hitting coach and outfield coach at Erie Community College, which at the time we were uh, in the top 10 in the nation all eight years that I was there. We attended three World Series. And, uh, you know, my son started to get a little bit bigger. So I said the, co the collegiate level is just a little too much for me. I want to be there coaching him. And I moved into coaching high school baseball and started a program at a brand new high school and then eventually left that to become a volunteer coach at my son's high school so that I could work directly with that program. In between all of that, I've been working with travel organizations uh, for the last decade. So there's a little rundown on and who I am and what I've done. I guess jumping right into your experience, I mean, I'm myself and Noah particularly, you know, we've been coaching for a little bit, but now we're starting to get much more involved with the opening of the facility. Um, and you talked about being blessed with the opportunity to start a program, you know, right after you graduated. And I think that's, you know, I, that seems to be a little bit uh, different for one. I mean, it's not just showing up on the ball field and teaching fundamentals. It's like, okay, how do you start to build a program, right? How do you go find players? Yeah. You know, what type, do you decide what team you want to be first and then mm -hmm. recruit players or do you recruit players and see what talent you got and then decide what type of team you're going to be? What was the mindset at the time with that? You know, I think it's, I think number one thing it starts off with is, is philosophy. You know, what, do you want your program to be? Um, you know, everybody wants to win. You know, I mean, I mean that's the bottom line. You, you don't strap the spikes on and, and grab a bat unless you're going out to win um, as a player or as a coach. And if you're not, well, I mean, that's that's not the player you want in your program to begin with. So we can set that aside right away. What kind of philosophy do you want? And mine was always, well, my first part, when I was at Duville, I walked in, I thought I was L. Davis, and it's just win, baby. I'm going to get guys in here. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You know, I'm a 21-year-old head coach. We're just going to go out and win, baby. And that wasn't a reality. So, you know, through the school hard knocks, the second time around, once I started a program at the high school level, I tried to create philosophy and who we were. You know, we had to create an identity. And I think once you create an organizational identity, that's when your players can come. And the organization I'm in right now, the prospects, they went from one team to two teams. And now, boom, we're at nine teams within a three-year span. And we look for players with talent and personalities that fit our organization. And after a year, if you're not a personality that fits our organization, you know, we're not going to cut you. We're not going to remove you, but we're going to just suggest that you might want to look for something that fits you better. And, you know, let, let, you start with that philosophy point. People jump on board. People will come to you once they realize you're doing things the right way. 
Yeah, and, and culture and identity, I mean, it's it's so important into a team dynamic. I would say that many of us have been on a different team at some point in our lives that probably had the best talent and just couldn't win in those big moments and vice versa, weren't on the best teams that could get those W's in those big moments because the team had a good nucleus, right? Like, I mean, you talk, just kind of honing in on that point is how can you expect people to come to your programs if you haven't developed a culture or an identity, something that they can see themselves fitting with them? Yeah, you know, I mean, you got to live it. That's that's the key. You can't you talk about culture and identity and they're two different things. Identity is, you know, what you want to be. So here's our identity. It's it's written in our on our Web page. This is what we're telling you you are. But when you show up, you know, I go to practice Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday, Saturday morning, Sunday, you know, morning to afternoon. And I'm there working with different teams and I'm showing them who we are. And that's the cultural set. You know, your 10U team to your showcase team, they got to preach the same thing and they got to understand it. And that's where you really set in that culture. Our our program GM, Jeff Helmbrack, man, that guy, he's got the same philosophy and that's the nice thing. You guys are running a program together. You got to show up and you got to you got to preach and say the same thing. And that's what we do. And that's where we're creating that culture where families see it. You know, mom and dad are sitting in the stands watching us work out and they're, they're soaking it all in. And, uh, you know, even at the collegiate level, when I was at ECC, uh, we had to preach it every single day. This is who we are. You know, I can tell you who we are, but we're going to show up and we're going to do it. And if you're not here doing it, it might be best if you move on. And that's, you know, that's a harsh reality of sport. Yeah, it's it's definitely. I mean, uh, you talk about the cult, culture and the difference between culture and identity. And uh, when you create an identity, I mean, for yourself, I really want to get into uh, sort of like how that experience at Canisius and what that identity was. I mean, Canisius is now we know. Um, I just read a great article there on former head coach Mike McRae and what he did mm -hmm. with bringing Canadians south of the border to a school and creating that culture and that identity with Canisius and I mean their success in the MAC in the last couple of years and I mean how, how did that help you being a collegiate athlete and then being able to take that and understanding what identity meant and also hard work and respect for the program that you go into how did that help you as a coach and help you develop kind of that you have the mentality now how how did it help along the way See, you know, it, it's really interesting because my playing career was very disappointing. Um, when, when I got to Canisius, I got banged up. You know, I hurt my knee. I hurt, uh, actually, I hurt both knees over the course of three years. Tore up my Achilles, hurt my back. You know, my playing career was essentially me showing up day to day, working my butt off, grinding through pain, sitting in the training room, Listening to, uh, at the time, Don Colpois, who was a head coach who um, played minor league baseball. Yeah. He was the GM for the Buffalo Bisons for a little while and then became the head coach. And the guy was a plethora of knowledge. And, you know, my injuries stuck me on a bench. You know, I play here and there, but I was essentially three seats away from Don Colpois listening to everything that came out of his mouth. And people don't understand that sometimes sitting on the bench is the best thing that can happen for a player or a future coach. And I got to listen to them talk about everything where if I was on the field, I'm just going through the actions. And, you know, our environment was you got to work. And if you're not working, you're not playing. Because there's other athletes out there just as good as you or better. And you got to show up to find a way to get on the field. And I did that every day. The only difference is when I was trying to go out there and grind, something was hurt. Something was there. Something held me back. And living in that culture of get to work, here we are. The one year I think we were eighth in the nation in hitting. And we just had guys who showed up to play 
and we found ways to just grind, get at bats, and get after it. The only flaw is, you know, we were probably eighth from the bottom in ERA, so it didn't work out well. <laughs> um, you know, and, you know, Don Copoy set this standard of you just got to get it done. You know, he expected you to go out and succeed. And here I was sitting next to him, listening to him. And, you know, we all want to go to the bigs, right? We all want to be major league baseball players. That's what we show up to do. That's what these 10-year-olds, these 12-year-olds, these 18-year-olds, these 20-year-olds are out there trying to do. But there was a point in time where I just said to myself, man, this is disappearing. And all of a sudden, I just started soaking in everything from that experience and you know my playing days led me into a coaching realm where the moment I graduated I accepted that fact moved on got you know got blessed to become a head coach and meet some great people like Mike McCray you know I knew Mike when he was at Niagara and I was at ECC and we'd have communications about a lot of Canadian players and you know, there's two people in this area who really went after Canadian players, and that was Mike McCray and my, myself yeah. because, you know, I could recruit the Western New York Buffalo area really simple. We were the top 10 team in the nation year in, year out. Kids are coming to us. So I had to find more kids because we didn't want to just be top 10. We wanted to win a national championship, and here we were. All I had to do is cross over a bridge. And I got a plethora of talent sitting right there. And Mike brought brought that to my attention. And, you know, Ryan, your brother Ronnie's one of these guys I recruited. And unfortunately, I uh, I lost him. But, you know, <laughs> you go getting getting up into that realm. You know, there's ball players, you know, in the you North. County blessings. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what I tell them when I play with them. I'm like, you know, I just watched them pop out to second base. And I said, thank God I didn't land <laughs> Um, just kind of staying on the topic of, of, of being hurt and soaking up that knowledge uh, from a coach. We've had, you know, all of our guests so far, the main staple, uh, I would say, of the conversation. And it's so relevant to baseball. And that's what we want to make kids understand is failure, um, recovery, adversity, things like that. And I think, I mean, it goes without saying, I mean, I'm hearing you say it without saying it, but obviously what happened to your playing careers, no doubtedly has made you the coach that you are today, right? I think that's a, a fair assumption taking, yeah. you know, that negative yeah. moment and turning it into something positive. Absolutely. Um, you know, let's just stick right on the failure part right there. I, I, that, that's one of my main points as a coach. I, you know, I look at these kids all the time and I say to them, you know, if, if baseball is your love, you're in for a load of pain because uh, baseball is a game of losers. You know, Derek Jeter is in the Hall of Fame considered this this amazing, amazing shortstop because he failed seventy percent of the time. You know, you're you're gonna lose. So I tell him, this is my statement: baseball is a game of losers, and the best loser wins because. That's the reality of the sport. It's so common for them to get uh, caught up in their failures. And we sit there and we preach, you got you to love your successes. If you go one for three, you had a great day. You know, you got to forget the two times that you were a bum. And remember the one time that you came through in the bottom of the seventh and drove a run in to go one for three or a sack fly, sack bunt. Those are failures that are successes. Yeah. And you know, you gotta, you gotta find that. And it's a hard thing to do because young players, you know, all they want to do is, you know, go two for four, go three for three. You got to remember that grounding out the second base and advancing a runner from second to third is a success. And you might've want to hit a gap, get on your horse and, and leg out a double, but you did the team something and, that goes back to that initial point of culture. If we all celebrate his failure, then it becomes a success. Yeah, it definitely does. And I mean, uh, like, I've always been of the adage. It's kind of like you talked about, like, grounding out to second base, advancing a guy. Um, you look at kind of 
seeing a lot of pitches and being able to come back to the bench and feed it to the next guy. Hey, like the breaking ball looks good today. Hey, the changeups on yeah. fastball. Fastball's got a little movement, a little life at the end. So make sure you're looking for that. And, and again, I think uh, sometimes when we're uh, with certain teams and certain kids, they lose sight of that. And yeah. that's just as valuable. I think those are the most important athletes that we train is are the ones that can pick up that information and share information. And, and it's, it's an art that really, as coaches, we, we have to sort of figure out who those kids are going to be because not every kid is going to be like that where he picks up information. You might have a kid that's sitting dead red who goes up there first pitch hacking every time. Hey, he might be your best hitter because he knows the fastball is coming and he can put that ball wherever he wants. But at yeah. the same time, sharing that information, I love the point. Again, as we get back to that culture and uh, just, again, I always talked about with uh, coaching, it's kind of, we look at how many, how many bases can we advance every game, right? If you got a guy on second base and getting him over to third, making it a little easier for him to score and really, really taking vested pride in the fact that, hey, you put the ball in play and you made something happen. And action plays in baseball are huge, especially for kids. If we look at kids 10, 11, 12 years old, there's not a lot of action plays because sometimes you might have a pitcher who's walking a lot of kids. Maybe the ball isn't put in play as much because there's a lot of strikeouts. So, again, creating those action plays and teaching them that success comes from failure, right? So I love that point. And um, just as we move along into the kind of the culture, you talked about earlier uh, being 21 years old, going into Duville and starting that program. Walk us through kind of that very first, like that first month or two, that, that process, because I'm really interested in that process of how you develop a culture and develop a program right from scratch. And I think it's a great, uh, great learning tool for our younger coaches to really hear your story about this. Well, you know, the, the, the one thing walking in that first month that, that was difficult was, you know, all of the things that you don't realize you got to do, um, you know, between the recruiting process and this, and this can correlate the, to travel aspect also, you know, cause you got to recruit and you got to do it right. And, you know, there's some recruiting coaches out there who, you know, they, I, I'm not along the lines of telling players, this is, this is, you know, you're, you're locked into this. You're guaranteed this because in this sport, there is no guarantees. And when I came into it, I told myself, I want to do it right. I want to be ethical. I'm going to tell players where they stand. I'm going to tell them where they can be if they choose to be that player. I'm not going to tell four shortstops that they're, you know, my starting shortstop if they come in here. And when I got out there, uh, not every player wants to hear that, you know, that they got to work hard to get what they want. They just expect it. Well, I was the best high school player or I'm the best 12U player. Doesn't mean you're going to be the best collegiate player. Doesn't mean you're going to be the best 13, 14U player. You got to go out and grind. And that was the first thing I wanted to set uh, the tone on is the guys that I had there. Hey, you got to show up and practice. You got to show up and work. I'm going to be here. I'm here every single day. I'm here on our off days. I'm here, you know, for that work to get in. I'll be here working with you. You want to come in, we'll get extra grinding in. And I try to set that environment. Unfortunately, you know, uh, different programs have different philosophies and you can have your own, but it doesn't mean it's the athletic department's yeah. philosophy. And, you got to find one that fits for you. And that was the scenario for me. I, I was there for three years. And from day one, I put that that plan in that we were here to show up. We're here to work. We're going to get things done. I'm going to be here. I'm on the phone recruiting every single night from day one that I got in there. And unfortunately, you got to have the backing. And yeah. that's that. that's when I walked away. And said my philosophy and your philosophy don't fit together mm -hmm. yeah but, because was that a you talked about when you got to the high school coaching a little bit after that was that probably one of the biggest things that you took away from your three years with that program moving into starting a high school program after that yeah so you know the 
this is where they all came together better is, is when I got into that high school setting. I, so I went to Uville to ECC to the high school level and I, I got to learn a lot from the head coach at ECC, Joe Bouth, who's a, a Jugal Hall of Fame coach. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's got a gazillion wins or so. I think I was part of number like 500 and 600 rounds there with him. Um, I, I went into the high school setting and the nice thing was in our setting, I also helped run the athletic department. So when that high school began from scratch, we started with a ninth grade and then we advanced all the way until we had nine through 12. And I helped create the philosophy point of what that high school athletic program was. I got to sit down with the administrators and talk about who we were going to be, how we wanted things to go. And all of the coaches for the different softball, basketball, soccer, they all came on board with this philosophy that we wanted. So when I had the opportunity to create that baseball program, that standard of show up to work, emphasis on winning through development and the emphasis of the, of the culminating act of the playoff system that we had, it, it, it fit. And is that, um, you know, just staying there, like, is that in your perspective, um, what we need to focus on when we're developing, I, just staying on that point is, winning through developing. I think there's there's some concepts and philosophies out there. I think people have the two mixed or conflated, right? So if, if you're focusing on developing, the end result is going to be winning versus we had uh, our second guest. His name is uh, slipping me right now, Noah. Um, uh, Rob uh, Nixon, he was talking about in the minor leagues, he said it was just like pure player development with, yeah. with draft picks. It's like, okay, you know, John needs to get his reps and looks at second base because he's a high draft pick. So, you know, the focus is not on any sort of team development. It's on just pure individual development. But is that the key you talk about is just pure development, which, which translates into winning? Like, how do you, how do you kind of make that fit? What does that look like for you? Well, I think there's two things that work together with this. Number one, we got to go out and get some players with some talent. And in, in the travel organization that I'm sitting in, number one is we have to scout and get kids in that are developable. So by winning through development, that's going to happen. You know, if you're not bringing players in ECC is a really good example of that also because our main goal there is to advance players on almost like a minor league system um, but if we're not winning players aren't coming mm -hmm. but if we don't develop those players we can't win so the organization I'm in right now it, it's about developing them so our 10s our 11s our 12s become our, our 13 14 15s because next thing you know we got shit uh, 16U and showcase, and if we're not we're not winning there, then nobody's coming and watching our players. Yeah. But to win, we got to make them better. And if we're bringing in guys with some type of talent set, enhancing that talent set, wins wins are going to come. So there's a real fine line between just you know the the my original coaching philosophy way back in in 2000 of just win, baby. You know, show up and work and win because winning is what we want in comparison to now where, listen, I've never coached a game where winning wasn't an emphasis. But there's a big difference between doing everything you can to win and creating players that will continually develop so that you're going to win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess that would come down into but just not to stay on that topic too long, but you're in a midseason game that has no mean, you know, has no effect on the rankings. Are you letting that guy hit or are you letting him bunt, right? In the situation to advance the runner, what's your objective? Well, I want him to be someone that can knock in runs, so I'm not forcing him to bunt right now. Or he's someone that needs to be able to bunt in a pressure situation. So conversely, I need to make sure he can get this bunt down, right? Things things like that. Yeah, and and when it comes to a lot of stuff like that, it's communication. You got to tell players what you want. And, you know, we've talked about culture a lot. To have a good culture, you got to be able to communicate. And if you're sitting in those midseason games where things need to be worked on, 
sometimes you tell them ahead of the game, you know, hey, we're going to be working on some of this stuff and you guys got to get this stuff done for us to win. Um, and I'm going to emphasize the fact we're here to win, but you have to do these things for us to do it. And then there's the post-conference conversation. And, you know, some coaches sit on these post-conference conversations for 20 minutes where the kids stop listening to you three, you know, three minutes in. You just get out there and you say to them, hey, we emphasize these points. You did them, we won. Or you didn't do them, we lost. And when it comes down to it, we get into a big tournament or it's it's postseason time, we want to win. And, you know, if you don't develop those skill sets, it's not going to happen. And that's, you know, game 22 out of 60. You got to start working on that stuff. And so right now with prospects, obviously you talked about that increase of a couple of teams to now nine teams overall. Yeah. Um, like, again, how, how quick was that growth? And how did it affect kind of the way that you guys recruited or looked at like the players that you're bringing? And you talked about wanting to bring in, obviously you want to bring in some of the best athletes, but at the same time, yeah. it's it seems as though uh, like with your growth pattern growing so quickly, that it becomes a little tougher for yourself as a coach and all your coaches around you to figure out, okay, we've got to get individual with these kids, but at the same time we're growing as an organization. So how do you, how did you walk the line and how was that growth process? Well, our, our GM, Jeff Helmbrack, he started the program for him to keep his son into a really competitive uh, environment. And he did a really great job of bringing in talent for that Mm -hmm. team. And his son aged out. He, he's finished his collegiate career already, and now he's back coaching with us. And, you know, the guy that I work with, Tommy Prince, he saw the success of this program. And, and our GM, Jeff, was running a showcase team, having to re-recruit kids nonstop. Tom brought his team in, and then I joined Tom's team, and we went to two teams. And it was pretty simple. You had two teams. You're working out at the same time. Uh, you kind of overlap by an hour so that there's some continuity and, and there's three or four coaches to five coaches all working together. And I sat there and I looked at it and I said, Jeff, you know, we want this program to have high-end success. We've got to have almost a farm system. And he looked at me, he goes, what are we going to do? I said, all right, let's find coaches because we're not um, – you know, as I say, we're not daddy ball. Uh, you got to have high-end coaches who understand they've played at, you know, collegiate levels, minor league levels, whatever, whatever successful level they've had. And, you know, he goes, I got guys. And I said, all right, get them on the horn, sign them up and get them in here. And we've got, you know, an assistant coach at ECC is working with us, a couple of collegiate players. Um, and from that point in time, I said, all right, start putting feelers out you know the season's still going on start putting feelers out about program you know we're going to enhance and you got to advertise that's the recruiting process that we've got now and we got lucky we got a lot of kids with a lot of talent into the point where we actually didn't even uh keep some players who could play just because we had the opportunity with you know enough talent that in some aspects of it, we told them, you know, you're better off going somewhere else. And it's mm-hmm. not that we don't like you or we don't want you, but there's no room for you positionally in this program. And it doesn't benefit you because I don't want to have a good kid who's a decent ball player not getting playing time. So that's, you know, I've been saying player development nonstop. If he's sitting on the bench, what's working for him? Mm-hmm. And now it's, it's, it's like a catch-22 because I'm at the facility nonstop and loving life because where else would I rather be? But on the same note, I'm at the facility nonstop. So it's a good thing and a bad thing. And you guys probably understand that. You know, you want to get home, you want to hang out with your kid or walk the dog. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you're there nonstop. And I'm loving life doing it. But we've got to be there. I'm there, Jeff's there, our pitching coach, Mike Nolan's there nonstop because we got to create that continuity of the culture that we want 
on every single team, which isn't always that simple. Mm -hmm. And that's a great point. Um, and just staying on, you know, we've kind of transitioned through some of your rep coaching and things like that. I think it's, you've coached basically baseball at, at every, I'd say skill level and, and age group, right? I mean, you've collegiate, you've done IBL, you've coached high school, you've coached, I mean, what was the transition as a coach when you go from coaching kids to collegiate players to high performance rep players to then IBL, which is guys that are still in college or have finished. Some have played pro ball. Like there's obviously a different approach. And that's something I'm interested in because I've, you know, I've only coached kids. So, you know, what's what's kind of the, the, the approach as a coach to being able to manage those different groups? Well, a, a lot of it's how you talk. The one thing that I tell everybody is if I'm coaching a 10U kid, or if I'm talking to, uh, you know, Tanner Nivens in the IBL, I'm talking to a ball player first and foremost. And, you know, once you strap on your, your turfs or your spikes or whatever it is, you're a ball player. And, you know, clearly, you know, you, your brother Ronnie told me, I, this has got to be PG. You know, I'm not always so PG, you know, but you got to realize who you're talking to. Yeah. And, you know, if, I, if I'm working with the showcase guys, I might – you know, I drop a couple of comments that I can't drop when I'm talking to the 10 and 11 use, but you got to, uh, you know, understand the level of who you're speaking to. And, you know, it took me a little while sometimes to do that because I would, you know, have my son in the garage working on the team. I'd be talking to him about some advanced stuff when he's 10 years old, but I can't say the same thing to the outfielder that's on his team just because of the family environment or the dynamic that he's grown up in. He just had natural talent and made our team. Um, so, you know, I talked to a lot of coaches and, you know, we all know what we're doing. I mean, that's the thing. If you're in the coaching, I know how to coach a hitter. The difference is can I coach all hitters? So I love doing stuff like this and having conversations, talking to, you know, some of these other guys that play still, it's part of the reason I still like to play baseball is because I want to learn different ways to say something, a different way to express a drill, because you might have to adapt it for not only a 10U team to a 15U team, but you might have to adapt it to two different kids who don't understand the verbiage you're using uh, with the other group that you just had in there. And all of a sudden, you got to find a way to say something different to get the same point across. And, you know, that's where this wide range of coaching for myself has really benefited me is, you know, not only am I a coach, but I'm a teacher. So I got to do the same thing. I got to learn how to say something different to a kid because he doesn't understand it the way I'm originally saying it or demonstrating it. And when we're coaching all these different age levels, be it 10 you or you know, having a conversation with a, a successful all-star in the IBL, you got to know how to communicate to them to get the point across that you're trying to get. And that's the daunting task. That's great advice. Yeah. And it, it comes, again, we look at it as coaches and we talk about, again, we're trying to invoke sort of the same result. Um, maybe it's working on guys hitting the other way. Maybe as an organization, we've struggled with that. But again, the process and how we get them there I, is very difficult because, again, like you talked about, 10U versus your showcase team, totally different learning scale. Um, and again, not all the same learning scale within the groups. So um, and I think, too, I think we're speaking to a lot of the parents who are now coaching their kids at a certain age that may not have a strong baseball background as we do here collectively. It, it just goes to show that, like, Again, just think about who you're coaching. Think about the personalities and think about what you're trying to coach and what the result you need to see when it comes time for the game and develop a process that works. I mean, it may not be flawless. It may not be exactly what the, the major league coach is showing somebody or what we're showing somebody, but you can do it in a way that's actually going to get it across. And um, it was a great point you made with just how, again, you, you, you talk differently and like, you're giving different cues for different guys. And I think that's big for any of the coaches that are listening um, that may not have as extensive a baseball background or just getting into it for the first time. Take advantage of the fact that we have, again, we've got Coach Mike on here with us who just made a great point about finding ways to talk to different players. 
So now going and practicing that us as coaches, we always need to be practicing too. And I think that's a loss art form sometimes as well. We get caught up in the fact that we're looking for a result rather than developing new processes for our athletes. So again, with your athletes, how, how, how much are you changing again, baseball, again, from the coaching side of things is changing every day. It seems. So how do you keep up with that? You've been, I mean, you've coached at the collegiate level in the early 2000s. And now all of a sudden we look at coaching and we've got these guys coming up that are younger coaches who are relying strictly on data with a mix of the old school. So for yourself, how has that been, that transition? Yeah, I actually told my guys this year, I said, you know, the the, the biggest, you know, term in baseball right now. And uh, I, I said to them, I hate it, is launch angle. <laughs> you know, you know, it's it's it makes sense. I get it. You know, but if, if you're uh, Albert Pujols, launch angle matters. Yeah. If you're uh, Joe Smith on the 14U team, launch angle means nothing. But we <laughs> talk about contact points and, you know, being an old man who, you know, started my career back in 2000 as a coach and, and, and playing before that, where there was, you know, the only thing you talked about was hit line drives. That's, that's all we ever heard. You know, hey, hey, go out there, hit a line drive. All right, get a job done, get a ground ball. That's all, those were our launch angles. And now, you know, there's these diagrams, man. Go on the hitting vault. There's a diagram for every single scenario that's going to occur. If you hit the ball with this much exit velocity at this angle, you're guaranteed a home run or a double or this or that, right? And it's like, all right, that that's awesome, man. But guess what? I'm trying to hit a ball that's moving, I don't know what's coming. How, you expect me to hit it with this type of exit velocity and this type of launching? Like, shut up, dude. Shut up. Yeah, and I think so, that's a really good point. I mean, those are good training tools to help you understand, you know, your body and your position, okay, getting on the ball at this type of an angle or hitting the ball this hard and, and understanding your ability to exert effort. But, you know, once you get in game, like that stuff is it's out the yeah, window. Now you got to hit the baseball. Throw it out, man. I just peed a little bit in my pants. There's two guys on, two outs, and the game's on the line. And this kid's pumping gas with a yeah. hammer 12-6 curveball. I'm not concerned with my launch angle and exit velocity, <laughs> man. I want a bloop single that scores two, and then everybody runs out and hugs me for winning the game. But you know, we do we do speak about it because the, it, it's in their ear, right? Instagram is feeding it to them. YouTube is feeding it to them. And those are both great sources. I use those sources because I, I try to get some, well, I'm, I'm trying to teach myself, number one. I'm always constantly learning because if you're not learning, you're dead in this sport. And, you know, I got to stay up with what these kids are trying to figure out and know also. And a lot of them will watch something on YouTube and think they learned something, but they don't know what the actual point of it was. So we try and transition it into what we're teaching them. So I got to talk that language. So the way I simplify it for them is every time they're in the cage, every time they take a swing, they got to ask themselves two questions. Boom. They just made contact. Did I hit that ball hard? You know, it, regardless of where it went, did I hit it hard? And if they answer the question, yes, then they move on to question number two. And we talk about kind of launch angle, but I kind of simplify it. Was it a line drive? Was it in flight? And if so, was it straight up or is it a gap up a ball? Or was it a hard ground ball or a soft ground ball that, you know, you can hit a ball hard on the ground. And if it takes 10 hops, it's an easy play and you're out at first. If it's going to take one hop, shoot through the infield, good job. So we talk about that fine line of exit velocity, but we simplify it to hard or not. And then we talk about the, you know, launch angle, but we simplify it with, is it something that could be driven for success? And we, we, I like the philosophy of dummy in a down form because they don't need to think about all that stuff. Baseball's way too hard to begin with. Hitting's the hardest thing you can do in sport. And anybody who wants to argue that, step in the box. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I guess just I, 
staying on the uh, the statistic topic because it was a great point and and I just want to give a shout out to Leon Legister who brought it up said it's a great point as well. You're in a game and and talking about you know all I want is a is a blue pit to to score the two runs to win the game and I think that's the importance of of teaching kids about you know levels of success and the training tools is that um you know it doesn't need to be a hard hit baseball it doesn't need to be you know 60 you know 80 miles an hour off the bat it's it's consistently making contact right like when you're working in the cage i mean yes you want to hit the ball hard but you also need to be able to make contact right what's the most important thing when a guy's throwing gas or you know a really good 12-6 curveball it's being able to make contact right ultimately putting the ball in play is what's going to allow you to win baseball games right yeah. Yeah. So, we, you know, we also, you know, when we're in season, we've got our uh, quality at bat dynamic. Right. And it kind of goes back to our, our our success through failure. You know, did you see a lot of pitches? Did you put good barrel on the ball? You know, you can have a success by hitting a missile directly at the center fielder where he catches it at his chest. You got to come back. You can be upset. But you smoke the ball, you know, when a shortstop catches a ball at his face on a liner and you're two steps out of the box, man, you succeeded. You're 0 for 1, but you succeeded. And then if you go seven, eight pitches deep and, you know, ground out and advance a runner, man, that's a double success. You just ground out that pitcher a little bit with some work. You advanced a runner. Hey, you're 0 for 1. You succeeded. And, you know, for every line drive you hit, man, you're going to get a duck fart that falls in somewhere. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. The, and, and it's funny, I'll, I'll bring up like uh, an example. It's, it's great that you talked about that too. Like just the ground out and we talked about it before, but I, I had a kid that I coached um, a couple of years ago, actually the last couple of years. And typically it's not a kid that I would put, nobody would put in the three hole in an order, never really hit the ball hard. But one thing he did really good was he hit the ball the other way every single time. And he put the ball on the ground the other way every single time. And every single year he led the team in RBIs. But he would come back to the bench and it's kind of taken off that helmet and it's the sulking. But at the same time, I was more excited in the third base, the third base coaching box. And our, our coach over at first base was so excited because, again, we see the success. And how, that, how important is it that we as coaches, again, uh, kind of start to look into the mentality even at a younger age with these kids and make them understand that there's these plays are successful and how, how do we get into the mental side of providing that feedback that's not only positive yes you might have gotten out yeah on the score sheet it says that hey you're over over six but you've got four rbis in the last three games how important is it that we not only look at the physical what's happening but the mental side of providing these kids with that positive feedback. Yeah. You know, the mental side of baseball is a really tough one. It, it, mm -hmm. It's probably the most important aspect of it because you sit there and you got a kid who's hot and he's confident and he stays hot. And the reality is you're not going to stay hot forever. And that confidence is going to sway. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. And us as coaches, we got to figure out, you know, first off, the personality of each kid, because every kid is different. You can put 12 kids, 15 kids together, and you've got a different personality that you've got to talk to different. Like we said before, you got to stroke one and rub his back and tell him everything's okay. And the other kid, you got to tell him to suck it up and get back in the box. And he's, you know, it doesn't affect him, man. He just popped up to the catcher and he doesn't care because he's going to get into the box next time and look to hit another P-Rod, right? Um, so that mental aspect of it's tough. And I love the analogy of this kid. He just goes the other way the whole time and just does his job, but it's not sexy. You know, he didn't hit a gap and get on two to drive two guys in where everybody's hooting and hollering and cheering. He hit a ground ball at second base with a guy on third when the infielders were back and got, you know, scored you a run that mattered. It's not sexy. And the biggest problem that I think a lot of people have is our standard is major league baseball. Yeah. And those guys are there for a reason. They are the best of the best and they're facing, you know, 90, 95 plus from relievers. Now, you know, this isn't 1980 <laughs> where, where your bullpen 
was because you weren't good enough to be a starter, you know, and Eckersley comes in and becomes this closer. And now all of a sudden closers are pumping 95 to, you know, I shouldn't even say 95. They're pumping 98 to hundred day in, day out. You know, the subtleties of the game for major league baseball are different than the subtleties of the game everywhere else, collegiately, um, you know, high school, travel organizations, youthly, it's different. And you've got to try, and that goes back to that cultural set. you got to create that culture where these, these are the realities of baseball. Baseball in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, early 90s is still baseball now, just not at the major league level. And, you know, minor league system, they're trying to replicate the majors because that's where they're going. Mm -hmm. The high school level, at the the uh, travel level, you got to love all the other stuff and you got to you got to preach it. And if you preach it and celebrate it, that's where those subtleties in, in the success and failures are actually going to, you know, benefit your team. And Mike, here's one we haven't addressed yet. We've, we've talked about it a little bit with you coaching your son and the, the person who started the program you're with starting it for his son. Um, first, how do you separate, you know, as a parent coaching your kids, how do you separate, um, you know, what happens on the field versus what happens at home? And then how do you ensure that you are treating, I guess, your child the same in the context of baseball as you're treating the other children? Because, I mean, that carryover, lots of people have seen it. It, it can be very toxic. Um, how, do you, how do you manage that? And especially someone like yourself that has a vast coaching experience. So maybe your expectations might even be a little bit higher for your kid as an example. Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, um, you know, first and foremost, you gotta you gotta let your kid know you love them, right? So when the game's <laughs> over, uh, when the game's over, you know, wipe your face off, uh, take take a short walk away from the team, and then become a dad. And he and I had a, a difficult time with that understanding when he was young. And I thought I was doing a really good job as you know, the ball player. And the child aspect of it, and that kind of reverts back to what I told you before. They're all ball players to me once they put their spikes on. And I would tell him that. Um, and I would try to talk to him post-game with a different voice and attitude than in-game. And um, you, you got to understand what you want. And I think that's where a lot of people go bad. Number one, first and foremost for my son, all I want is a great experience, a love of the game, and an opportunity. I'm not one of those parents who's sitting there saying, oh, man, I want my kid to go to the pros. I want my kid to go D1. Listen, if my kid goes D1, I'll be the happiest dude out there. If my son even plays college baseball, I'll be the happiest guy out there because now I can show up in a pair of cargo shorts with, you know, the, the baseball dad attire on with my seat and plop my seat on the, you know, right next to the fence and put my feet up and then just not have to think, but to, to, to watch and enjoy. Um, so you got to try and create that, that, that barrier and communicate it. Um, my son said to me the one time you treat me different than the rest of the players. And I said, I, I don't think I do. And he, he pointed out an example of what he thought was, you know, me getting on him harder than somebody else. So I looked at him, I go, listen, next game, I'll do a split with you. So you're only playing half the game, next guy's in. I go, I want you to listen to how I talk to everybody. And we got in the car that day, and he looks at me and goes, man, you're hard on all of us. And I go, yeah, that's right, man. <laughs> you know? Well, it's funny because that's, that's a really good point. You know, our uh, our father coached uh, myself and Ronnie growing up for, for a long time, and and whatever personal issues may or may not have been going on at home, they never bled onto the field, which I always felt was probably one of the most important things uh, about having a parent coach kids. It's uh, even the in the 
context or the nuance of treating kids different on the field. It's going to be really hard, right? You're always going to be subjective about some of those things. But I always found that if you prevent, you know, you, we, you draw a line. It was an unwritten line. It was an invisible line. It was drawn right at the mm-hmm. gate out of the field, right? As soon as you cross that threshold, you're not at home anymore, right? Whether you talk to him as your son or, or just another player, it's that line is there and that line needs to stay there. And I feel like that was something that always, you know, worked well for us. I never, never had an issue as a dad, you know, our father being our coach, which I think is what allowed Ronnie and I to develop uh, so well is that we were able to benefit from his athletic and coaching uh, abilities rather than just looking at him as our father on the field, which is very important. Um, I want to take one piece and just move it now staying on the parents uh, subject something that I think is very important for kids right now um, and it's the echo chamber um, what advice do you have for parents that their kids are struggling with failure in sports you know that car ride home conversation there's a really fine line between you know bashing your kid or on the other end being far too supportive and not helping them deal with the issues that they actually need to overcome and work through what what kind of advice do you have there well, number one is uh, be realistic, right? I mean, that's one of the biggest problems with parents is, um, and it, it it deals with this upload of travel baseball, is that you could almost find a spot for every kid on a travel team based on the, the sheer magnitude of these teams. And guess what, man? Not every kid is going to make – you know, the next level team, not every kid is going to go on to play college baseball, be realistic about it. And what is your relationship with your child being based on? You know, I, you know, I I played at Canisius. I've had a nice baseball career. I didn't go anywhere. Um, Most of us didn't. I sit there and I look at that team. I played on at Canisius and there's a lot of really good ball players. They didn't do anything. You know, where do you really think your son is going to be going and what kind of relationship do you want with him? You know, just my son and I post game would be over. We'd get in the car and I'd look at him and put my father hat on and I'd say, you know, how'd you do today? I was sitting right there on a bucket watching the whole thing and I'm talking to him like, how'd you do today? And, you know, it comes back to that point. I said, you know, make sure that you know you they love you. Uh or as a parent, you love them and you're just there to support them, you know? And when it comes to that aspect of the parent being a little too supportive in the sense that everything's okay, um, that's not life. Don't teach him that, you know, everything's not okay. He he went over four with three strikeouts and looked like a butthead out there because his mindset was wrong or this or that. Don't clap the whole time telling him it's okay, baby. No, it's not. You gotta tell kids, you know, strap on the boots and, and suck some stuff up and get back to work. And that doesn't take away the fact that you're supporting them. Um, another aspect of that is, you know, you get a lot of parents and I've had this aspect happen to me sometimes too, where mommy and daddy who aren't true ball players, but their kid is a good ball player, step back and let the professional do it. Don't step on the coach's toes no, you know, you're joining an organization for a reason to let those coaches coach your child. You want to be the most supportive person there. Sometimes it means step back, look at the reality of where you are and let somebody else handle it. Um, the problem with that is a lot of parents think that, you know, their kids, the one who's going to go here or there. You know, just let them play. Let them play ball. And it'll all sort itself out. That's great advice. Yeah, it's it's definitely big. I mean, it's it's definitely different, too, because, again, kids with their own expectations. I mean, when you talk the parent and child expectation, um, it, it's definitely different sometimes. And, I mean, even even when you get a kid who has – we're not all going to get kids who want to play collegially or want to play professionally. You're going to get kids from time to time who want to come in, learn the game and play the game up until a certain point because their friends are doing it. They love the experience. And in all reality, those are the ones that are going to turn into coaches at the end of the day, whether they coach at the collegiate level or league, or they're just coaching T-ball and they love the game and they want to get back to the game when they get older. So, um, 
again, for all those coaches out there too, that don't have any, uh, don't have any of their kids on the teams and you're coaching a team that you, you have no real attachment to believe that you play a part in developing these kids past their baseball careers. And I think that's another lost art too, is that we not only want to teach them about the game, we want to refine skills. We want to develop players. We want to increase velocity, increase exit velocity, all this sort of cool stuff. But we're also teaching them stuff that they're going to take away and put into a career. And you made a great point that hey, at the end of the day, you may go on, play division one, play division two, play Juco. And what you do after that, that's, that's life. Right. And whether that's playing professional baseball, whether that's working a nine to five, whether that's going back and coaching and getting the opportunity to have your career in baseball. So, and, and it's, it's definitely somewhere along the lines where we need to, again, step back and understand that within our coaching experience and within our coaching philosophy that we put in some life skills. And I, I think personally, every time you step on a ball field, there's a life skill learn. So would you agree, Mike? Oh, no, 100%, man. You know, and that, that leads us to that success with failure, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a businessman, you're going you're gonna to screw up. You're going to fail sometimes, too. You're in management. Things don't always go your way. You know, playing baseball is constant pressure. Mm-hmm. If you're a pitcher, you're under pressure from pitch number one to, to whatever your pitch cap it is. You know, pitch 65, pitch 95 pressure is on you and then you got eight other guys seven of which they have no clue if the ball's coming to them or not but they gotta they gotta perform right i'm standing <laughs> at shortstop and my pitcher strikes a side out i still got pressure on me for you know those 15 pitches because the moment i don't pre-step the moment i don't get my feet ready the moment I find, you know, the good looking chick in the stands and don't pay attention for that split second, dude, the ball's on me. And if I don't yeah. perform, everybody sees it. And that's what I love about this game is it's a group of individuals performing a skill to success, to succeed as a team, right? Pitcher's got to do his job. Catcher's got to do his job. Defensive players got to do their job, but you do it by yourself. It's not basketball where if all of a sudden I get beat on the dribble, I got two other guys behind me who can who just slide over and play some defense for me. If I'm at shortstop and there's a you know a one hopper at me, if I don't field it, nobody else can help me. And that's just a life skill in itself that you got to perform on your own, either for your success or for your team's success. And you're doing it under pressure and under an environment that's constantly changing. You know, run around first, run around second. You know, now all of a sudden it's second and third. You got to rethink and you got to think on the fly. And all of a sudden, you know, the outfielder bobbled the ball and the cut isn't going to two now, it's going to three. And, and you got you to gotta learn how to handle that. When you're in life, I mean, you guys are adults now. I'm an adult now. Things get thrown at us like that. And we got to learn how to figure out what we're going to do with it and make a decision that's successful for us. That's a life skill. Learning under pressure. I love it. It's why I love this game. Yeah. And I, I just, we, we've had literally this conversation with everybody talking about the, just the failures of baseball, right. And the opportunities to provide, I tell people this all the time. It's not what I learned in school. It's not what I learned working. I mean, I, I genuinely feel the most, valuable uh, attributes and qualities that I have as a person comes from failure or success, both directly related to sport performance, ability to lead, ability to follow, ability to grind, you know, ability to pick yourself back up. Those are things I feel like I learned in sports. I have a ton of failure stories that I can get into and some definitely aren't worth getting into on, on a PG podcast, right? Um, yeah, yeah, right. I guess, I mean, can you can you kind of express the same thing? We talked about it, it transitioning to coaching, but just understanding those moments about how those, the failure, the adversity can just shape you if you allow that opportunity to shape you positively, right? Well, yeah, you know, and that's a thing too, because I've had some players where, you know, if you ask them, they never failed. It was always somebody else's fault. And you, you try to teach them, you try and talk to them. 
Um, you know, I have failed clearly looking at my career. I have failed more than I've succeeded. And I'm, I'm glad I did, you know, because th there's that old adage that you learn more from losing than you do from succeeding, right? Because when you succeed, everything went the way you wanted it to. When you fail, you got to figure out how to not do that again. And, you know, the, the ball players that I get where, you know, it was a bad call or it was, you know, this or that, you know, it, it's tough because you got to try and teach them. Listen, you got to realize the reality of what occurred so that you can learn from it, become a better ball player, help our team, become a better human, become a better citizen, be more productive when you're older. And that's, you know, it, it's tough. But as coaches, that's what we sign up for, man. I mean, I didn't sign up to win win and lose games. I signed up to, you know, be around a bunch of uh, ball players, regardless if they're 10 or 17 or, or 25, uh, because I love what I'm doing with this. And I love that environment of success and failure and where you're going to go from there. And, you know, I am who I am, kind of like you said, uh, because of the diamond and, you know, getting out there and learning who I am and how it's going to happen. And I love that. It's definitely huge. I mean, I, I think we all as coaches can step back sometimes and look at it that way and understand that, hey, we've had a lot of failures that have gotten us to this point. And what we're telling this kid right now kind of relates back to that. And we learn from those failures. So, Mike, uh, before we wrap it up here, I just had uh, just from my side of things. So we, we've talked a lot about our coaching philosophies and different cultures and that sort of thing. But for yourself, who was really the biggest mentor or maybe a coach that really made an impact on you getting into coaching? Ooh, all right. Uh... <laughs> But it's a put. You could have texted me that one earlier to think about, right? Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, first and foremost, it was my father. My father was one of my coaches, and uh, he was a good ball player. Where things just didn't work out his way based on life situation, and uh, he coached myself and my two brothers. And you know, there's varying. There's almost that learning curve where he was a hammer on my older brother to the point where he drove him out of the game. And then there was me uh, as the middle brother who, you know, he hammered me, but it was a little bit different. It was, there was a little more love and a little more understanding in that one in comparison to my younger brother where, you know, he was tough on him. When, you know, it's like that downward slope of, you know, you're going to the bigs. All right, well, you're going to be successful. All right, you are successful. You've got two older brothers beating you up and I don't have to do as much. But my father... Um, you know, first, the first thing he did is he instilled the love of the game to me. So I, where else would you rather be than on a baseball diamond when it's 80 degrees out and, it, you know, watching, you know, ball players out there doing it or doing it yourself. So, you know, he's number one, no ifs, ands, or buts. Um, beyond that, I'd say, you know, it's a collective because, yeah. You learn so much from so many other people. Don Colpoy's taught me so much. Joe Bauf at ECC taught me tons. And then just going to showcases and sitting you know, on a bucket with 20 other coaches talking baseball, um, it just adds in. So first and foremost, you know, my first coach, my father, you know, taught me the game, taught me, excuse me, taught me the love of it. And uh, there's no way I'd be coaching if, if, if he wasn't number one. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and on that one for me, just to kind of finish <laughs> off, Mike, my dad actually just asked a question. Um, he said, as a coach and as a hitter, how would you teach a hitter to track a baseball? Ooh, all right. So my old man always taught me you got to find the circle that his hand comes out of. And, and that was that was the first thing that we, we learned. It was the first thing that he would um, – talk about on game day is you know you're standing in the on deck circle and I was a leadoff batter for a really long time mostly under my father and I've got nothing to go on so what's the first thing I can look for I'm looking for that hand boom where's the circle that 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 ball's coming out of and he said find the circle 
boom, next thing you know, you're going to see the ball. And as a hitter, once you pick that ball up, advantage is yours. If you pick it up late, you're in trouble. You pick it up early, you've got a higher um, opportunity to, you know, have success and, you know, create some exit of velocity and some uh, launch angle. <laughs> um, that's a great way to end it. <laughs> Well, I'm uh, listen. We appreciate your time very much. It was a great conversation. I mean, we, yeah. this the great thing about this show is we kind of get off onto some tangents, and and it felt like we were going in a good situation. That's very productive for you know. At the end of the day, everyone's sitting home right now with you know they have free time, and I think understanding this game and you know the more we communicate to people how just mentally tough and exhausting a game like baseball mm -hmm. is, and hearing these stories from other people, I think is is super valuable. And want to thank you for you know sharing your story with us. Oh, man, I'm thinking you guys. This is a great time. Let's do it again. Yeah, definitely. definitely. All right. Thanks again, Mike. And uh, thanks to everybody that's watching. Mike, we'll definitely have to get you back on. Great conversation again. And uh, in the meantime, guys, uh, be sure to tune in. And, Mike, any any last things? Any uh, Do you want to plug the prospects a little bit? Uh, you know, I think I, pl I plugged them enough. But, hey, Western Union <laughs> prospects, jump on the webpage, get a look. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll see you on the diamond. Awesome. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate awesome. it. Yeah. See you later, boys. See you later.